Hey everyone, Rachel here. Before you begin this episode, I want to give a quick heads up of a content warning. In this episode, we do bring up the topic of rape and sexual assault and someone who was accused of rape. I understand that this can be very sensitive content to some, and I want to make sure every listener feels safe and has fun here. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Season 1, Episode 8, Love and War and Snow. I smell snow. Welcome to Stars Hollow. I'm your host, Rachel Foss. My guest today is my very good friend and former roommate, Diane. Hi, Diane. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for being my guest on my Gilmore Girls podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so happy to be here. Talking about Gilmore Girls with you is one of my favorite pastimes. Now, listeners, Diane is up there in the Gilmore's knowledge that I am. In fact, we used to be trivia champions together in Chicago before she sadly moved away. Despite that, I still want her perspective. So, Diane, why don't you tell us your relationship and history with Gilmore Girls? I've heard of it. (laughs) I, obviously, a big fan. I, I watched it some when it was initially airing, but these were back in the days when in order to watch a television show, you had to be sitting in front of a television at a certain time, and if you missed it, you didn't get to see it. So in college, my friend had everything on DVD, and I started rewatching it then, and basically I've never stopped. Well, speaking of watching things, have you been enjoying anything recently during your quarantine? Especially, it's in November, it's Thanksgiving tomorrow, it's almost Christmas time, watching anything Christmas-themed or anything that you've been enjoying? I am very much a Christmas starts in December person, so I've not been watching anything Christmassy yet. Like most people, I've been watching The Great British Bake Off. Another new thing I've been watching is Game Face. And it kind of sat there for a while. I just wasn't really in the mood. And then they actually mentioned it on another podcast I listened to that it was a good one. I've been meaning to watch that, so I'll give it a try. And it's really good. It's um, sort of based on the creator's life um, as a struggling actress in her 30s and trying to make a career happen, but also trying to make adult life happen. But it's, it's really well done. So is it a comedy? It is, yeah. It sounds like the same kind of genre as Dollface and Shrill, which is also on Hulu. So good for Hulu for killing it with these female-focused dynamic shows. Totally. You're spot on. It fits right in with those. It's, It's really good. You know, normally I at least wait until Thanksgiving to start watching Christmas stuff. But it's 2020 and time does not exist in 2020. Do what you got to do moment to moment. So I've just kind of been going with the flow and going with how I feel. Mostly the past week and a half, I have been just absolutely obsessed with the new Netflix series, Dash and Lily. I've been hearing people talk about this show. It's so good. I'm obsessed with it. And I'm so obsessed with that. I even read all the books last week, but I don't think the books are as good as the series. The series like knocked it out of the park. It's really, really cute. I really liked it a lot. Great soundtrack. Really fun, just really well-made series. I think you'll enjoy it. That's my rec 
for right now. And happy Thanksgiving, by the way. Thank you. Are you doing anything fun for the holiday weekend? Well, sort of. I'm having dinner with just my mom and dad tomorrow because we've been in con- you know, physical proximity to each other through this whole thing. That's literally it. No one else. Oh, great. Well, let's get this started. I'm ready. Woohoo! Here we go. Season 1, Episode 8, Love and War and Snow, written by Joan Binderweiss, and aired on December 14th, 2000. Everybody, it's the episode Love and War and Snow, one of my all-time favorite episodes, one of the most famous Gilmore Girls episodes, and most importantly, it's our first town meeting! Yes, that's right, everyone. It is our first Stars Hollow Town meeting. The best, the always entertaining town meeting. I'm so excited to talk about this episode today. Always entertaining. I have to tell you, though, you're going to hate me. This has never been one of my favorite episodes. Really? Couldn't tell you why. I, you know, there's parts of it that I really like, and I like the the plot and, like, the story that happens is important, but never been my favorite. That's Okay. So we see that the town meeting takes place in the same structure as Miss Patty's dance studio. In all the episodes after this where we have the town meeting, it will always take place at Miss Patty's. We open on Miss Patty and Taylor. They're trying to get something situated when Andrew speaks up. It's Andrew! This is the first time we see the character of Andrew, who is a side character throughout the show, even up until the revival. Andrew runs Stars Hollow Books. It's not explicitly stated in this episode, but we know that. But apparently, according to Taylor, he has also been stocking lava lamps, you know, for drugs. Because what other purpose would there be for a lava lamp? Obviously. Andrew is a great side character. He's played by Mike Gandolfi. He does have a few other acting things, but he also has quite a few producing credits under his belt, which I didn't know. So that's cool. So one thing that has always stuck out to me in this episode, this is a technical thing, but how badly this episode is mic'd. Has that ever like struck you? Yeah, I don't know that I put it together that it was specifically that it was mic'd badly, but there are several points in this episode, maybe that's part of the reason that I don't love this episode, is there are a few lines that Lorelai speaks that just don't sound like Lorelai. They sound like someone else saying words, and it just like kind of throws me off a little bit. I'm really wondering if they have like a lot of audio issues with this episode, and maybe they had their dub. It could be. It totally could be. That's kind of how it seems for those couple of lines. Yeah. It definitely feels like that when they're out in the snow, when, later in the episode when the reenactors are out in the snow. Mm-hmm. And then it also feels like that way in this scene. And it's always bothered me. So I bet they had some issues. I also noticed that this town meeting is very diverse. And there's even an Asian man wearing glasses in the town meeting audience. And I have decided... From this day forth, that that man is Mr. Kim. It has to be. I'm, I'm writing it in the canon. It's happening. Do we ever see another Asian family in the town besides Lynn's family? Not like with any major focus. I agree with you. It's decided. <laughs> 
I also just want to point out that there are just a ton of lamps. There's an overhead lighting, like for the studio, and there's just like lamps everywhere. There's lamps in the back, there's lamps on the side, there's lamps next to Miss Patty. It's just like lots of floor lamps. I wonder if, is that a Miss Patty character thing? Is that just a convenient excuse for them to really work that cozy orange Gilmore Girls lighting that they were so into in the first couple seasons? B, all of the above. I feel like in later episodes, the lighting in the town meeting is a lot better. And I don't remember if there are lamps. It's something I'm going to have to pay attention to. Just really struck me watching it this time. Like, why the fuck are there so many lamps back there? Now, I just want to point out right now that Rory and Lorelai are eating hot dogs. I'm going to circle back to that later. But also I made veggie dogs and I wrapped them in crescent rolls with cheese and mustard. And that's what I'm eating for my snack today. That sounds delightful. I wish I could have some with you. I'm pretty excited about it. All right, Diane, here's the moment you've been waiting for. Now the mayor gets up to the podium. You mean Mayor Big Lebowski? <laughs> Thank you. Okay. You know, I should have known that you were already gonna bring that up. And I, I'm not surprised that you did. For listeners, Diane is always like really on top of actually like good and cool movies that even I don't see because I don't like watch cool movies. She always remembers everybody. It's like special. It's a gift. So I'm not surprised. It's an obsession. Also, I watch a lot of stupid crap to make up for all those really good cool movies I watch. So. <laughs> So the mayor, Harry Porter, not to be confused with Harry Potter, played by Dave Huddleston. And just like Diane mentioned, this dude has been in everything. And I mean, he has been in everything from Bewitched, as in the 60s sitcom, to The Wonder Years, and then of course to being the Big Lebowski. I don't think I ever knew that he had been acting as long as he was. When you mentioned Bewitched just now, I was surprised to hear that. And it's not like that he was just in an episode. He was a recurring character in all of these. And also in like a ton of shows in the 60s and 70s that I have never heard of. See what he looked like when he was young and see if I remember him from anything. (laughs) Oh, interesting idea. Unfortunately, Mr. Huddleston passed away in 2016. So we, of course, here at Welcome to Stars Hollow will always remember him as the mayor of Stars Hollow, Harry Porter. However, he only appears in two episodes and is never heard from again. The position of mayor is never mentioned again. (laughs) Also true. That's something that we'll definitely talk about later. What do you think happened to Mayor Harry Porter? I mean, knowing what I know about the rest of the series, the only logical explanation is that Taylor was involved. (laughs) I agree. I actually wrote in my notes, I think Taylor staged a coup and took over the entire town. I think a coup would have been too difficult for Taylor to spin. It would have been much more nefarious. I think Mayor Big Lebowski just disappeared one day. (laughs) As the seasons progress, we'll have to discuss the government of Stars Hollow. Let me know when that episode is. Well, the mayor is here to announce that this coming Friday is the anniversary of the legendary Battle of Stars Hollow, or as Luke puts it, 12 guys stood in a row all night waiting for an enemy who never showed. They should have been wearing prom dresses. So let's talk a little bit about the Battle of Stars Hollow. As Mayor Harry Porter says, 
It was a frigid November night 224 years ago. That means that we are in November 2000, which I always assumed this was December, but I'm wrong because it's this Friday, which means it was November. And if it was 224 years ago in November 2000, that means that this battle took place in November of 1776. He explains that the Star's Hollow Militia stood and waited all night for the Redcoats during the Revolutionary War. Now here's the thing. In season five, which we won't go two and two because spoilers, we see the reenactors again. And in this episode, a few things are different. First of all, they say that it happened in the year 1779. They mentioned the general Lafayette, who was not fighting in battles until the earliest 1777. In November 1776, the only battle that was going on that was notable was the Battle of Washington in New York State, probably not related to anywhere in Connecticut. So what's going on here? I have a theory. Basically, what you're saying is there really was no battle that we have any historical record of anywhere around that area around that time. They say that the they were waiting for the Redcoats and they never showed up. Is it possible that this little small town got some bad information and they were told be on guard, something might happen, and they were they were ready, but just the Redcoats were not ever headed anywhere near them? I mean, that is literally what happened because the Redcoats weren't near them. <laughs> I'm just saying, who knows? It's Stars Hollow. It's always been a pretty small town, right? Well, funny you should bring that up. They say in this episode that the Battle of Stars Hollow took place in 1776, right? Well, the town of Stars Hollow, according to the town sign that we see in the first episode, was not established until 1779. Technically, Stars Hollow has not been officially settled yet. Exactly. (laughs) Taylor in this scene is also wearing his classic sweater. And I'm so excited to realize that Taylor wears this sweater like forever in every single season of the show. That makes me so happy. <laughs> and I love that there there are so many inconsistencies in this show. But like the one consistency is Taylor's sweater. So true. I wonder if that was um, driven by that actor. He was the one that was like paying attention to that very closely. It was like making sure that he did that. I'm hoping that that's the case. Taylor tries to step in to calm everybody down, but Luke comes back with the perfect line because Luke is an ally, at least in the first season he is. And he says, have you considered the fact that you're glorifying a war we fought so we could keep land that we stole? Now, in the last episode, I went on a huge Thanksgiving rant because I have a lot of feelings about Thanksgiving. Luke was an ally in that episode. He's an ally in this episode. He's an ally in future episodes. Luke knows what's up. He's speaking truths. Good for you, Luke. But Mayor Harry responds, if you don't like it, you can go stand in line for toilet paper at the USSR. So dramatic. Well, for the youngins out there who don't know what the USSR is, the USSR was the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, a.k.a. the Soviet Union, which was a combination of Russia, Ukraine, Georgia, Belarus, Uzbekistan, Armenia, Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Moldova, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia. 
and they fell under the dictatorship of Vladimir Lenin and Joseph Stalin. And the USSR was dissolved in 1991, so we have all those countries back now. Despite Luke correcting him about this, and I say correcting him because he is correct, you can hear in the background while Rory and Lorelai are talking, Harry double downs on his bullshit. And he says, the USSR is still a thing and they stand in line for toilet paper there. And that is a fact since you're so interested in facts. So despite him being the Big Lebowski, I am going to guess that Harry Porter is an avid Republican because he has no grasp on reality or truth. We cut over to Lorelai's bedroom. She has been awoken by a magical presence outside her window. She's also wearing a red baseball tee with rhinestones to bed. I have never worn a shirt with sequins or rhinestones to bed in my entire life. Lorelai loves a rhinestone. You can also see that she went to sleep with her earrings in, which I do not recommend. That's really bad for your ears. This is also a show where they often go to bed in full makeup. She goes downstairs and lifts up the window, takes a deep breath, and plays her answering machine. And it's because there's a message from Max Medina. Max Medina. Max called her while reading a paper called Emily Dickinson, Get a Life. Emily Dickinson, of course, is a famous American poet. I kind of think Emily Dickinson, Get a Life is a good title for a paper, honestly. As long as this student happened to get their facts correct, they can have that opinion about her. I mean, she was reclusive and secretive. Even when she was alive, she was had a reputation as the town weirdo, and she stayed in her room and wrote poems about death and stuff. You're right. I didn't think that deep about that line, but very good point. Behind Lorelai, you still see that she has this creepy clown pillow. I don't know if you noticed that. Always, yes. It follows me in my nightmares. Rory, of course, wakes up because why wouldn't she? You're playing an answering machine loudly in the middle of the night. She tries to close the window and Lorelai says, wait, close your eyes and breathe in. And then we hear possibly the most famous quote from the entire show. I smell snow. Sometimes I think I can smell snow. Definitely winter has a smell. I don't know if it snows specifically, but winter has its own very unique smell. So I do agree with that. I like that. And I agree because every once in a while I'll walk out and I don't know that what I'm smelling is snow, but it definitely smells very particular. And it is. It smells like snow. It smells like winter. Since it is the first snow of the season, Rory promises her mother to stand in the snow with her with donuts and coffee at midnight, which I love this idea. I know this feels very manic pixie dream girl writing vibes, and I, I agree. But I also love it because I do kind of feel like a freaking manic pixie dream girl sometimes. I love winter and I do love snow also, especially during the holidays. Not so much in February, I'm usually over it by then, but in December, I love it. And I would love to sit on my front porch with someone that I love, a family member or a friend or, you know, someone special, and just sit out there and watch the snow with coffee and donuts. I think that's really nice. I agree, and maybe that's one of the reasons that I have, this episode has never been my favorite, is, and I'm glad you said the phrase, Manic Pixie Dream Girl, even though that wasn't a phrase when this show started. I'm glad you said that because that is 
pretty much how I feel. And I, it, sometimes it feels a little too forced. Like they put in so much of that that it's like, all right, she's quirky. Oh yeah, of course, because Lorelai is so eccentric. And everything, you know. She um, wears rhinestone pajamas. She opens the windows during snowstorms, even though it's fucking freezing out there. Well, we are having such a nice mother-daughter moment. But of course, Lorelai has to take it into overdrive once again. We have yet to experience an episode in which she does not do that. She goes one step too far over the line, mentioning how sexy Max's message is to her 16-year-old daughter, of whom this is her teacher. Right? Ugh. And I have said this multiple times. I'm just like trying to picture if, if one of my parents would have said that to me when I was 16. I would have just been like, what the fuck? Well, if it makes you feel any better, Diane, while being sexy, he was also being grammatically correct. That genuinely does make me feel better. Lorelai apologizes for waking Rory up and Rory responds, it's okay. It's all fodder for the tell-off. Foreshadowing? Totally. Love it. We cut over to the Independence Inn. Michelle is being his surly self. Suki wants to make maple sugar snowflakes, and Lorelai is a giddy wee lass. There's a man bringing in firewood. This is exactly where I want to be right now. I want to be in a cozy New England inn when it's nicely snowing outside and a warm fire is going inside and Suki's in there making maple sugar snowflakes and probably some good soup. Mm. Lane and Rory walk into the inn. Lane is decked out in her marching band uniform. And I relate, I played the trumpet in marching band and our uniforms were equally terrible. But I also never at any point had to wear my marching band uniform to school during the day. That was not a thing that ever happened. So I'm not sure why Lane is. I also want to point out because my crazy brain remembers really random stuff. In a later episode, Lane has to wear her band uniform again. And she mentions that the plumage looks like blood splurting out. <laughs> but in this episode, it's orange. So they changed it at some point. We can also, from her uniform, guess that the Stars Hollow Minutemen, Minutemen is the Stars Hollow High School mascot, that the colors are red and white because of future episodes and because of the school jackets that we see other kids wearing are red and white. So we assume that they're red and white. And apparently with this little orange, but Lorelai refers to her as Sergeant Pepper. Lorelai is referencing the Beatles album of 1967 entitled the Sergeant Pepper Lonely Hearts Club Band. On the cover, all the band members are wearing very similar band outfits that are very reminiscent of what Lane is currently wearing. So I especially like this burn from Lorelai because she knows Lane is an audiophile and knows that Lane is going to know exactly what she's talking about. Also, I didn't really think about it until I was just rewatching the episode recently. At this point, Lane is herself a somewhat of a lonely heart. Oh my goodness. That's so true. Oh, also, Diane. Yes. Between you and me, and no spoilers, but does Rory's scarf look familiar to you? Okay. Huh. For those of you out there who who know, if you know, you know, I watched it and I looked at that scarf. 100% the same scarf. Awesome. Well, Lane is confessing her heart to Rory. Again, she is in the Lonely Hearts Club because she is obsessed with rich 
Blumenfeld. Does he still wear the Star Trek shirt? And Star Trek has been mentioned before already in this show, you know, in passing. Star Trek was a sci-fi show and is often a cliche response to something nerdy. Like, if you like Star Trek, you're definitely a nerd into nerd stuff. Especially at that time. Now it's it's cool to be nerdy and, you know, it's not the negative stigma always that it, that it was. At that point, definitely, definitely, that was a burn. I think that's a very big cultural shift to recognize. Chris Pine was in a Star Trek movie, so... You know I mean, even I watched that one and I've never really been in a Star Trek and I still don't really care about Star Trek and I just have never gotten into Star Trek, but I don't feel the same way I feel about Star Trek that I did. Mm-hmm. They walk into the inn's kitchen. Suki is talking to her very attractive cook and tells him to just stare at whatever is in this pot. And if you watch his face really closely, he has a super grin every time Suki's talking to him. But the moment she walks away, he has like a death glare. So true. Such good acting. I love that. He also, when she's saying, you know, you got to stare at it while you're staring at it. And she's like, are you looking? And then he's looking at her and she says, are you looking? And he goes very emphatically turns his whole head stares directly at the pot so she's aware which is i mean kind of how you handle a boss that's that level of micromanaging that was such good acting what he has one line and all of his acting is based on his face yeah does he say anything there when she comes back he says i'm staring but that's it. Like, he does such a good job. I did look him up. I forgot his name. But I did look him up. He's in a ton of other stuff. But a lot of it is foreign films. And nothing was anything I recognized. So I didn't want to go too into it. Yeah, I just like really like this very random side character. I love him. <laughs> but also, what the hell is in this pot? Because it kind of looks like Draft of Living Death to me. <laughs> She sees Rory and Lane and she offers them cinnamon buns, but Rory only wants Rocky Road cookies. Lane is still talking about how amazing Rich Blumenfeld's hair is. Now, up until this point, you could excuse Rory for just being a little distracted. She has a lot of homework. She needs to make sure she has her books. She goes to a very high pressure school. I totally get that. She is vaguely listening to her friend, but she's getting distracted. But this is the point in which Rory is just being a fucking asshole. Completely agree. Lane is pouring her heart out and she's literally trying to ask her questions about how she's feeling. She's trying to talk to her. And Rory interrupts Lane to ask her what time it is so that she can go meet Dean. Rory, you're being a shit friend right now. Seriously. Lorelai comes in because she needs to tell Rory that the locksmith is coming over so she might be late to Friday night dinner or because she's having Satan's baby. Either one. You choose the order. It cuts over to a close-up of Lorelai. She's teasing Rory because she knows that Rory doesn't like Rocky Road cookies. Rory is pretending to like them so Lorelai says, oh it must be my other daughter, Rory. (laughs) I've always liked that line. Well, anyway, Lorelai bats her icy blue eyeshadowed eyes and says, oh, I know who these cookies are for. They're for Dean. Because you're so keen. Love, love, Dean. Dean, Dean, Dean. Love and the Dean and the cookies for the love and the Dean and the cookies. (laughs) I have to admit that particular little sing-song kind of line gets stuck in my head way more than I like to admit. 
it's just it's just funny. Like the two of them, I, I like Lauren Graham and Melissa McCarthy together. I think they work well together. And I think it's the comedy and the improv, I think, is driven by, by Melissa McCarthy a lot in their scenes that they have together. But they're just so funny together. They play off each other so well, and their scenes together always stick out in my mind. I think that you're probably right about that dynamic. But Suki is always the straight man, whereas Lorelai is always the ridiculous. Even in this scene, she's the one going, ah, la, 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 which I love because that's kind of just like an introduction into how just like a fucking weirdo Lorelai is, and I love it. Some of the best comedy comes from the straight man in a pairing. Maybe that's just a personal taste thing. I'm with you. So Rory and Wayne are walking through town, and I gotta wonder, where is the Independence Inn? Because almost always Lorelai drives there, but Rory and Lane just walked from the Independence Inn to the center of town. I never really understood Stars Hollow geography for that exact reason. There are certain times and certain episodes throughout the series that, you know, some there's some sort of problem because someone doesn't have a car. How how's Lorelai gonna get to work without a car? But they walk there all the time, so I don't know. I think it's just one of those inconsistencies that there will never be an explanation for unless somebody has a very specific map of Stars Hollow. Does that exist on the internet in an accurate kind of way? I haven't looked yet, but you know that now I'm gonna. Better. I mean, we know that a bus goes through in the middle of town, so it's very possible that there's a shuttle from the inn to the center of town. A lot of hotels have a shuttle. It's a believable explanation. Either way, Rory makes it clear that she does not give two shits about Wayne right now. In fact, she doesn't care about anybody but herself until Dean comes, in which she kind of cares about Dean too. And I get it. I like both Lane and Rory was absolutely boy crazy. But Rory, you've got to pay attention. Also, Lane, you're being super fucking boring right now. We get it. You like Rich Blumenfeld. Move on. I, I get what you're saying, but also, clearly Rory has been ignoring every word Lane said. So for Lane to be repeating herself a few times here seems kind of like what a person would do. Again, I'm on Lane's side in this scene. Even just me watching it and maybe it's because I did watch this episode a couple times in a row for in preparation for this podcast but man lane just like I don't care about principal building more natural wave whatever <laughs> Rory and Lane y'all need to straighten up straighten your shit up right now let's go Dean comes over to drop a book off it's Jane Austen I tried so hard to zoom in and try to read what title this was but I, I just couldn't. It's impossible. I didn't recognize the book cover. If I had to wager a guess, I would assume it was Pride and Prejudice simply because that is the Jane Austen standard. And I'll tell you something, Diane. Tell me. A lot of people have a lot of opinions. In January and February, I reread all of my quote unquote favorite Jane Austen. So not all of them, but the heavy hitters. I reread Pride and Prejudice, Emma and Sense and Sensibility, which are my three favorites, or at least I thought they were my three favorites. Because when I read them in high school, I loved them. And I always said I loved Emma the most because I just thought that was like my favorite one. I do not feel that way anymore. Sense and Sensibility was absolute dog shit. And I'll, I'll go on record saying that. Emma was fine, but it is nowhere near as good as Pride and Prejudice. I hate admitting that because now I sound like such a friggin' cliche, but Pride and Prejudice was genuinely so good while I was reading it. And then to read Emma afterwards, it was just like, what a letdown. 
I will admit that I have never even attempted to read Jane Austen um, because I was never specifically required to for courses in school, and that's not a thing I gravitate towards. But I, I agree with you that it's likely that it was Pride and Prejudice. Well, Dean. Creep Teen Dean. Creep Teen Dean. Yes. That means that you've been listening to my podcast. Oh, of course. That was said in the very first episode. And as soon as, as, soon as she said it, I was like, yes, thank you. That describes him so perfectly. I've always felt this way. I will never think of him as anything other than Creep Teen Dean because he is such a creep. Yay. Well, speaking of Creep Teen Dean, he says that she needs to read Hunter Thompson. And I, let's just stop right there. Not Hunter S. Thompson. Hunter Thompson. <laughs> I wish I could describe Diane's face right now. But it's exactly how I feel in my heart. <laughs> you know, like, the only other time I've ever heard him referred to as Hunter Thompson and not Hunter S. Thompson, is in the movie Almost Famous, one of my personal favorites. I've seen it many, many times. But the character who says that is someone who knows Hunter Thompson personally. It's at that time, it's in the 70s, so it's like he actually knows him and is familiar with him. So for Dean to say that, it's like, okay, Dean, like, I get it. You think you're cool. Like, all the early 2000s high school boys who read Fight Club and thought they knew shit, like, ugh. Most likely, Dean loves Almost Famous. That sounds like something that's right up his alley, based on what we've learned so far. <laughs> no, I just, I'm just saying I think that that fits right in, and I would not be surprised if Dean read Hunter S. Thompson after watching Almost Famous. Right. Also, Dean would watch Cameron Crowe movies. <laughs> I'm going to go on the record yet again, and I'm just going to say it. You don't need to read Hunter S. Thompson. You really don't. Unlike Jane Austen, I have attempted to read Hunter S. Thompson before. was not a successful attempt. It, it is exactly how you think it would be if you've ever seen the Johnny Depp version of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. That's all you need to know, basically. If you have ever read a novel that starred an angsty, emotionally inept, victim-y man who thinks that his troubles are the greatest in the world, then you've read everything that you need to know from Hunter S. Thompson. If you've ever met a guy that wears scarves and has full sleeves and only smokes American spirits and rides a fixie, then you've read Hunter S. Thompson. There, I've said yep. it. Flashbacks to bad dates and my mental Yeah. <laughs> well, Rory suggests next that he should read Bronte, Charlotte Bronte. And apparently this isn't in your wheelhouse, but again, I love Charlotte Bronte. In fact, when pressed, like when robots ask for my password and they say, what's your favorite book? I always say Jane Eyre. Jane Eyre was very, very special to me when I was in junior high. It was given to me by a teacher because she could tell that I was a very sad and lonely kid. And I read Jane Eyre and I, I just like felt like I had a friend and I have always loved that book. I read that book usually every other year. This is one of my favorites. If we're being truthful, like in reality, my favorite books are the Harry Potter books because that's just how I feel. But when I want to sound really cool and smart and sophisticated, I say my favorite book is Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. Also, Charlotte Bronte was a fucking badass, as were her sisters. And they are so cool. If you learn about their history, like they were amazing women and they are way better 
and cooler than Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> Back at the Independence Inn, flakage has begun. Michelle is reading the finance section of the newspaper when Emily calls. She calls Lorelai to warn her that the snow has turned into a very severe snowstorm. They're going to pick up Rory from school. Lorelai says, well, don't worry, I'll get the ark, you get the animals. Lorelai is referencing the biblical story of Noah's ark. Emily then asks, well, what time can you get here? Well, let's see, Mom. Black ice, treacherous roads. I guess I'll just put on my red, white, and blue leotard, grab my golden lasso, and fly the invisible plane on over. <laughs> Lorelai is referencing Wonder Woman. Lorelai also talks to Rory on the phone when she arrives. She says, now remember, you arrived there not a member of the Junior League, and I'd like you to leave that way. So I actually had to look this up because it's one of those references that I always just let it go over my head because I didn't know what it was. The Junior League is a club for women founded in 1901 whose main objective is to promote volunteerism in the United States, which doesn't sound too bad. But after I looked up who the former members are, I realized that this is not a club I could ever be in because I am not a millionaire wasp. And that's pretty much the only people that are invited into this club. Yep. But it does have some notable ladies in the club's past, such as Sandra Day O'Connor, Barbara Bush, Betty Ford, and Eleanor Roosevelt, who joined just two years after it began in 1903 when she was just 19 years old. And Eleanor Roosevelt was pretty famous for doing a lot of philanthropy. So I do think that that's cool. I mean, I, I'm, I guess I'm glad that white women have a place to go to give back. All right. Anyway. That's what white women have made to draw history. It's just a place to go. We are back in Stars Hollow and we see that the Stars Hollow militia reenactors are walking past a very irritated Luke. Lorelai walks up behind him and tells Luke why she loves snow so much. And then she goes for a walk to enjoy her present a little bit. And I get that. I love the fall. So during the fall, I was just going for walks just to enjoy the leaves that were falling. Okay, it, it has been well established that in all previous episodes, Luke is not into the quirky small town things that happen in this quirky small town. Like, we're all aware of that. However, it kind of surprises me that he's so vocally against this reenactor thing because he mentioned that his dad was one of these guys. Even so far, like, he was so into it that after he passed away, he was buried with his musket. We know he's really sentimental about his father, you know, even though he... I was just surprised that he so, gets so worked up about this particular little tradition. Although you make a good point, I'm going to bring up another one. I agree. Luke is very attached to the memory of his father. You can tell that his father was very important to him. But we also see in the future what happens when Luke loses someone, quote unquote. He gets very emotional and temperamental. For example, storming around his diner and throwing people out when he doesn't like the way they order. And it doesn't have anything to do with them. It has to do with the fact that he's being reminded of something that he loved and lost. And so I would also believe that every time Luke sees the reenactors, he's just reminded that his dad is dead. That is an excellent point. I think you're exactly right about that. To your point, though, I think that love in Luke's eyes that we see as Lorelai walks away probably strengthened in him because he shared 
something about his dad that was very important to him with Lorelai. And it's, it's almost like Lorelai brings out these very special things in Luke and he's sharing something that was special to him. I can see that too. Up to this point in the series, this is the most intimate conversation Luke and Lorelai have ever had. Well, we cut away from Luke and Lorelai to Rich Blumenfeld running into the scene. He's clearly late for his marching band, whatever they're doing. It was a Star Trek marathon on and he had to watch it. <laughs> or maybe he had to wash his amazing hair. Probably takes a lot of effort to make it look that luxurious, especially without that much product. Man, Rich Blumenfeld, he has a complicated guy. <laughs> but I do agree with Lane. He does have some pretty damn good hair. Like, that's some nice hair. Now, I'm not sure what instrument Lane plays, and I don't think we ever learn. It's possible we can figure it out in a future episode, but I'll have to wait and see. But her case looks like a saxophone case. She's standing next to two other saxophone players, but her band partner is Rich, and he definitely is not, that's not a saxophone case. It's too thin, and it looks like a clarinet case. Her case could be a clarinet case. These are my questions. These are just things I think about. Also, just a side note, Rich Bloomfield is played by Chase Penny. And Chase has actually been a stuntman for like the past 15 years. And when I looked him up, his most recent work is being a stuntman on Chicago PD, Chicago Fire, and Shameless, which are all filmed in Chicago. So I'm just going to have to assume he's a Chicago resident. Well, if you ever see Chase Penny around town... Chase Penny, be on my podcast. I just run my hand through his hair. See what he says. Just go up to him and run my fingers through his hair. <laughs> and then just run away. Just like Lane. Man, being a teenager is definitely hard. And you know those moments? I'm we're adults now. We're in our thirties. I'm sure you understand because you are also a human being. Do you ever like you're trying to go to sleep at night and then suddenly remember something horrifically embarrassing that you did when you were like sixteen years old? <laughs> This scene, I feel like, is the definition of secondhand embarrassment. Every time I watch it, I'm just like, oh! <laughs> but I love the way that she reacts to it, like, oh, and then just, like, runs away. You have that moment of realization, like, I fucked stuff up real bad, and then just run away. 100%, I would have run away, would have never come back. Nope. <laughs> And Lane does run away. And where does she run? We know she runs to the Gilmore house. Why she didn't run home to sit in her disco closet? Because I feel like that would have been a nice safe space. Instead, she breaks into her friend's house. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, that disco closet looks like the coziest place ever. Well, Lorelai is still out enjoying her present. As she's walking through Stars Hollow, you can see in the background there are some balloons sitting out on the sidewalk behind her. I'm curious as to what these are for. The shop behind her might be a jewelry store. Maybe it's a grand opening. What's happening here? I don't know. But something is happening with balloons. Very strange choice for set decorators and art department to make. Oh, do you want to talk about strange? As soon as we get her close up at minute 1711, and you see someone dressed up as a court jester handing out flyers near the balloons. What is this for? Why have I not noticed this? First of all, I've seen this episode minimum 10 times. I've never noticed this before. Watch it again after this because it's, it's amazing. Did someone lose a bet? Mr. Court Jester is also standing next to like a sidewalk cart, like a sidewalk food cart, like a little cart. 
there are these balloons, there's a fancy food cart, and someone dressed up as a court jester who clearly has like some flyers in his hand. I want more information. What is happening? It's nighttime. <laughs> the Star's Hollow nightlife scene? It's even wilder than we imagined. Well, we don't know what's happening with this court jester, but we do know what's happening over at the auto shop. What's happening is Max Medina. Lorelai walks over and they're both very excited to see each other. Max's car broke down on his way back from teaching a class in Stamford. Now let's put the brakes right here, okay? Max's car is not the only thing with problems in this scene. I looked this up and how far it is from Hartford where we can assume Mr. Medina lives in or near because that's where Chilton is and that's where he teaches. And it said it's an hour and a half drive. Now I have never been to Connecticut, so I don't know what that's like. If we were to say, you know, you and I are both from Michigan. If we were to go somewhere and it's an hour and a half away, we're traveling quite a distance. We could travel half the state. Mm -hmm. If I were to say that in Chicago, it, it could be me just going from the north side to the south side. You're not going that far. No, you're not. So I reached out to some Connecticuters or nutmeggers, as I found out they are called, and they helped me figure out the situation here. These are also some fellow friends in a Gilmer group that I'm in, so I trust their opinions. And they knew all about this scene, and they had feelings about it too. All of them were in agreement that it would be very unlikely, most likely impossible for a teacher who works in Hartford, Connecticut, to be able to drive to Stanford, Connecticut for a night class and come back in the same day. Really? Yes. So even though Google Maps tells me it's an hour and a half, there are toll roads, there's a lot of traffic, and they also have very bad roads. It's also not a direct route. We know that Max is there before 7.30, and I'll point that out when we get there. So we know it's before 7.30 at night. We can assume that Chilton ends at 3 or 4. Usually a teacher stays a little bit longer to have to do teachery things. We'll average 3.30, 4 o'clock. If he drives and it takes about 2 hours, he's there at 6, he teaches a class for an hour, drives 2 hours back. It's not possible. I agree with you. I think whatever information you have from Connecticut friends, I'm sure is accurate. It's possible, but it is even under the best of circumstances, it would be a stretch. I mean, just once a week, does that you're going to you're going to spend the money you make on that class in gas. Having lived on the East Coast, it seems like all the roads, they just paved over old cow trails. <laughs> like old wagon trails. They were already where they were and they just kind of built around them and and especially if this is a snowstorm and we have to assume that he says that he's on his way back from Stanford, it's 100% impossible for this to have work. Unless, you know, if he worked out a situation where he got, he teaches the last class period of the day and thing like that. A lot of teachers have other jobs. They, they work around it. You know what? You're right. Because Chilton is a private school, so it's very likely that, that he doesn't have a class every single hour. So you're right. That actually makes a lot of sense. And if he leaves early, you're right. It's possible. I mean, again, I just want to quote my nutmeggers out there. Thank you so much for your help. And I do believe them because they live there and they were very upset about this as well. 
and they said that it's ridiculous. I just think that that's so funny because this is, you know, clearly a bunch of people in California who are trying to write about New England and have absolutely no idea because traffic in California and traffic in New England are two vastly different things. <laughs> I also just want to pay a little bit of attention to the faux snow in this scene because in this scene, I feel like they're actually doing it okay. This fake snow is fine. The way I feel about fake snow is when you can look at your characters and the snow is actually sticking to them and it makes it look realistic, then it's believable. And I want to point it out because we're going to have to talk about it again in this episode. Tonight is going to be a very good night. Rory is in Hartford. Max is in Stars Hollow. Now Lorelai just has to figure out where to take them. Cut on over to the Gilmore Maison and the maid is calling in because of the storm. Because of that, Emily has no idea what they're going to have for dinner. She's freaking out. Richard is nonplussed. He's also in the middle of reading the financial papers, by the way, and it is the same paper that Michelle was reading at the Independence Inn. He calls out, Rory, are you in any way malnourished or in need of some international relief organization to recruit a celebrity to raise money on your account? I'm good. She's good, Emily. I love that line because Edward Herman is hilarious. Also, Richard is so sassy and like he doesn't always get to show that. And in this scene in particular, it really reminded me where Lorelai gets it from. Me just repeating that line, I was out of breath. And it made <laughs> me realize, oh my God, Lorelai does not get this from Emily. She gets this from Richard. She gets a lot of things from Emily, a lot of personality traits. But yeah, that humor and that quick wit is is Richard for sure. And the long-winded jokes. Oh, it's so good. And really good writing. So funny. Well, either way, they still have to figure out some sort of dinner. And they look in the freezer, which by the way, is full of meat or something. It's like they're not starving. They have food right there. Even if you're a rich bitch, you don't know how to put a piece of meat in a pan and put it in the oven it's probably not gonna be the best thing you've ever eaten because you don't know what you're doing but it's food yes they were they gonna starve to death in there obviously not but to not have a prepared for you sort of meal is something she's not used to at all when you're really hungry and you open the fridge and no food in there there's just ingredients for food in there true Well, the good news is there is frozen pizza, which arguably is also something you have to prepare, but at least it's not ingredients. It is just something you have to stick in the oven. And Rory is the only person who knows how to make it. And it doesn't even look remotely enough for three people, but, you know, we have what we have. Also, Emily always starts her dinners with a salad. I have a hard time believing they don't have salad in the fridge. I've been that too, but also when I was rewatching it, because Emily was freaking out, and Rory kind of took charge. A 16-year-old kid is not going to make a salad for dinner. I'm surprised that Emily didn't step in and say, well, let's at least add a salad to this. And salad with pizza, you know, that's pretty normal. Perhaps they ate it while the pizza was in the oven. Well, either way, we are back in Stars Hollow, and Max and Lorelai are picking up their food. They're picking up burgers, but not from Luke's. This is a little hole in the wall, walk-up window. It's not Chinese food, so we can rule out L's. Do you think that this might be the JoJo's that they mention in season five? Oh, could be. I've never put that together, but yeah, I've always kind of wondered, where is that? The Fiesta Burgers, which according to the menu, 
is $4.50 and it has four chili peppers next to it. So I'm guessing it's pretty damn spicy. If it's too spicy for you, the menu also includes a regular hamburger, a cheeseburger, a barbecue burger, french fries, onion rings, a sausage, onion, and pepper mix, which I appreciate because that's something you would find all over Chicago. That's like a pretty regular Chicago thing here too. And also hot dog and sodas. And remember when I said, remember that they are eating hot dog and drinking soda in the town meeting because my guess is that they also went to this walk-up window to get the hot dogs. Yeah, you're right. Max and Laura like grab their burgers, start walking, and they're getting to know each other. Max says, you're crazy and I'm following you, so possibly I'm crazier than you are. A match made in heaven or in Bellevue. Bellevue is, by the way, the oldest public hospital in the United States and one of the biggest. It is famous for its very large psychiatric ward and Bellevue still to this day resides in New York City. Fun fact, Bellevue also had the very first maternity ward, which opened in 1799. Really? Mm-hmm. Never knew of Bellevue as anything other than psychiatric and now i'm wondering why it's known only for that i didn't know that bellevue was not just a psychiatric ward it's like a regular hospital and it's the oldest hospital i don't understand why we're not talking about that i'd have to do a much deeper dive but there are only so many hours in a day diane we are back at the Gilmore Maison where Richard is on the phone with Aaron. This is supposedly someone at his work and he says he will not continue to have these conversations with a child. Yes, he is a child. When he's worked for 30 years at the company, that's when he's not a child. And I have always wondered, is he talking about Jason Stiles? Ooh. Have you never had that thought? Does he say the name Jason? No, he's definitely referencing someone that they both work with. And we know that Jason is around the same age as Lorelai. So even though he's 32, he is the son of someone that works there and has been around that office for years. So Richard probably thinks of him as a child. You know, I'm going to say it's probably not him only because I'm not sure that Richard would be so vocal about his anger at Jason to someone else because he did know him, He, you know, well, from the time he was a kid, he knew his parents, his family. I don't know. It could be. It totally could be. I think Richard would say this about any person who happened to be under <laughs> the age of 40. I also think that that might be true as well. It literally could be anyone. It's just something I wanted to mention because now every time when I watch this episode, I always have that thought and I just wanted to speak my truth out loud. That's what we're here for, to discuss and debate these things. Well, Rory is pretty bored by that as anyone with a fully functioning brain would be. So she goes to explore her mother's old room. She checks out the famous dollhouse, which I greatly envy. She looks through some of her drawers and she finds some notebooks. Under the notebooks is a photo album. I do think it's weird that such a special family album is underneath a bunch of notebooks in Lorelai's room. Inside the photo album, she finds a photo booth strip of Lorelai and her dad, circa 1983, the year before Rory was born. Now, I have searched the internet. There is a lot of debate and there's no confirmation of who the people in this photo are. A lot of the internet does say that is really a picture of Lauren Graham that has been photoshopped with someone else. I don't have any confirmation that that is real. There's also speculating on who the boy could be because it does not look like the actor who will be playing 
playing Christopher. Since we haven't met Christopher yet, I'm wondering if we even cast him at this point. I would assume that they had casted him at this point. It's definitely impossible, for sure. It could just be that these are just two random people. It could be this is Lauren Graham and her actual high school boyfriend. We don't know. I have no way of fact-checking this. I just wanted to make sure everyone knew that I don't know. But I tried. To be clear, I don't know either. <laughs> Well, right at that moment, Rory gets a page and she calls the number, which reaches her house. And Lane answers. Lane, why are you at my house? That's a good question, Rory. Why did your best friend break into your house when no one was home? I've never broken into my best friend's house when no one was home. I wonder if Lane has a key. When I was growing up, I was lucky enough to live next door to my best friend, my BFF, Amber. Still my best friend to this day. And her family is very close to me. They did have an open door policy and they did say I could come over at any time. But I didn't because I think that that's weird. I agree. I don't think that that's something that I ever would have done. But Lane, Lane has such a tough time at her own home. And Lorelai is such a cool young mom. Maybe she just feels more comfortable doing that there a way that in a way that you maybe wouldn't with a more traditional family. Who knows? That's something I personally would have done, but eh. Well, Lane is wearing a very cute sweater in this scene. I approve. One just like it in the early 2000s. <gasps> really? Awesome. It just legitimizes the costuming for the show. Lane is speaking her truth. She has reached her rock bottom. She is spiraling out, gone over the edge, and she is letting Rory have it. She has a potential F in jazz band. I'd be freaking out too. <laughs> that would be the least of my worries. Well, the phone suddenly goes dead, probably because of the storm. And Emily runs in freaking out because there's something buzzing. Which I, that seemed a little bit strange to me because her whole job is that she runs the house and she runs the staff and like, I'm sure she doesn't cook, but I can't imagine that she would be that freaked out about an oven timer. I think she's probably at this point just really overwhelmed. There's a snowstorm. She had to pick Rory up from school early to be safe. The maid called in. Where's Rory? Now you're telling me the phones are dead? Emily's definitely a type A, so type A's can't handle changes. Now we're back in Stars Hollow, and we're right outside one of my favorite Stars Hollow places, the Black, White, and Red, R-E-A-D, bookstore. Which, by the way, is not the bookstore that Andrew owns. Which means Stars Hollow has two book. There's 500 people in this town, and they have two bookstores? They also have, like, four burger restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we know throughout this series... The black, white, and red bookstore becomes a mini theater at night. We do know that this is a Friday night. I don't know if we ever fully know if BWR is a movie theater every night or just Friday nights or just weekends. So like maybe just like Friday and Saturday. But we do know that this is Friday and they are showing a movie tonight. So, you know, at least we know they're showing it on a Friday. And the movie that they are showing is House on Haunted Hill. The 1959 version with Vincent Price. A solid film. I don't like scary movies, but I have watched that film and I liked it. Also not the only time in this series that Lorelai watches that movie. I will have to pay attention to that. Thank you. But also, I just want to specifically look at this sign because it says House on Haunted Hill is playing from 7.30 to 9.30, which means Max Medina was in Stars Hollow prior to 7.30. I have a theory. I will have to go back and look at this sign to be sure. 
However, if you are showing a movie, you're not putting a start and end time. Oh. I'm wondering, since there were two times listed on that sign, was there a 7.30 showing and a 9.30 showing? If they're showing a movie twice, it'll be two hours apart. That makes sense. A movie is, especially movies from the 50s, hour and a half-ish. You're blowing my mind right now. There is a dash in the middle, mm -hmm. so I visually read it as 7.30 to 9.30. That makes more sense because why would you put the end of, no one ever does that. They probably are at the 9.30 showing. My mind is blown right now. I'm so glad I could help you with this. <laughs> These are why I need this podcast. I work this out. This is just a thought. I, I don't know for sure. Well, geography doesn't exist in this show, so oh, we can also assume that time doesn't either. They're inside the bookstore watching the film on the couch that we later know is called Big Red. And Max is being so goddamn sexy in this scene. I mean, swoon-worthy. I feel like this is the Max Medina fuckboy episode because he pretty much acts like a fuckboy through this entire episode. And I'll talk more about that in a little bit. Right now, he's just being a smooth criminal. But goddamn, I don't blame Lorelai because that is some good <laughs> shit. It would work. Just as a character, as a person, Max can get it. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> it's not just us because Lorelai is falling hard for it too. And I do I believe that this is when they have their very first kiss. Not that we saw. Not that we see. And we have to assume that they aren't together since the unfortunate Cinnamon's Wake episode and now because this is supposedly their very first date that they're finally having. So there it is right there in the black, white, and red movie theater on Big Red, first kiss. Right after she asks him how his tongue is. <laughs> she had a check yep. before she made her move to bring that topic around is what i'm saying <laughs> and now back again with emily richard and rory the frozen pizza is ready and they each have one slice of this thin ass pizza they had to have eaten the salad while the pizza was in the oven now i completely believe it because it's just hard to believe otherwise well richard likes it emily is not convinced until rory puts some parmesan on it a friend of mine once made a joke that Parmesan could solve all the world's problems. Mediocre pizza? Parm. World hunger? Parm. Global warming? Put parm on it. I don't see a flaw with that. And it definitely would solve the world's problems before foie gras ever would. Have you ever had foie gras? I have not because it kind of freaks me out and sounds gross. I'll tell you what, I have had foie gras because even though I am a vegetarian, I am also adventurous and I like to try something at least once. And foie gras was like really fancy spam, except for with the consistency of cat food, like wet cat food. Nothing about that sounds remotely appetizing to me. But after that particular line where she's explaining, you know, Suki once brought the foie gras and um, Emily says, oh, how was it? And just the way that she says, pretty good once we scrape the foie gras off, like Emily reacts and she reacts to Emily's reaction. And that's like the best bit of acting I've seen from Alexis Bledown, at least up to this point. Oh, I agree. Actually, I was thinking about it earlier in the episode when Dean meets up with them. Jared Padalecki is such a good actor. And so when you're sitting there and having to watch Jared Padalecki next to Alexis Bledel, it emphasizes what a bad actor she was. I don't feel that way anymore because she has completely been nailing it in The Handmaid's Tale. So I definitely don't feel that way now, but definitely early Alexis Bledel was low. It felt controversial opinion even saying it out loud. No. 
What's nice is that this dinner is a little funky for Richard and Emily, but they're enjoying it, which inspires Rory and gives her some encouragement. Things are going well. So she runs and gets that photo album that she found. And then all of a sudden, they're so excited about this photo album that they don't even want to finish their one piece of pizza, which means everyone in this household ate less than one piece of pizza. It's just, I'm, I can't let this go. I'm so upset by it. It's been a long time since I've eaten less than half of a frozen pizza at a time. So I may have eaten at all. <laughs> There's nothing about this that's relatable. So they open the photo album and there is a baby picture of Lorelai. And I just want to say something because in a couple of episodes, I know you know. Okay, I'm, I'm glad you know about this one. So in the episode Emily in Wonderland that we'll be watching shortly, probably in the spring, Rory asks for a baby picture of her mom. And Emily says that there are none because when Lorelai was a child, she burned all her baby pictures. But we're looking at a baby. And I'm really mad at the writers because I'm just like, it was a couple of episodes ago. Yeah. Did you already forget? As they were flipping through these pictures, a lot of the pictures in this book were pictures of, they talk a lot about white dresses. First picture they look at is Lorelai as a baby and she's wearing that white christening gown. Then they talk about Emily and Richard's wedding photo and she talks about that wedding dress and her mother had three seamstresses working around the clock. And then the next photo is another picture of Lorelai in a white dress. It just seemed like a theme to this photo album, which I thought was kind of strange. That is strange. And I absolutely did not pick up on that. Wow, now I'm going to be thinking about that. <laughs> if we could just find Amy's number and we can just call her. Right. Well, I can't speak to the white theme, but I can tell you a little bit about some of these photos. Mainly the photo of Hopi, Emily's sister, who, by the way, is never mentioned again. If we invent our own universe around Gilmore Girls, in future, we know that Emily and Richard go to Europe every year in the fall. We can assume that maybe they realize they haven't been seeing Emily's sister a lot, and they've decided to start going to Europe every year in the fall to visit her sister in Paris, right? That's a story I can make up for myself. Yeah. But the best part about this photo of Hopi is that that is actually a photo of young Kelly Bishop, a.k.a. Emily Gilmore. Looking so beautiful. And she does literally every day of her life from beginning to whenever she dies, because she's a treasure. Now, when they do talk about Emily and Richard's wedding photo, and Emily says, well, every girl dreams about her wedding, blah, 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 blah. And Richard brings up the fact that Emily used to dream about Errol Flynn. And here's another reason why I do this podcast. In 2000, when I was 15 years old, I actually did know who Errol Flynn was because he is legendary. You kind of know him if you've ever heard or learned anything about Hollywood. He was famous for his Robin Hood role, his pirate role in movies such as Captain Blood. You know, he was famous. He was also very recognized by his famous mustache. However, we also know that he was a famous womanizer and was known for his hedonistic, quote, attributes. That is a fancy historical way of saying he was accused of raping women several times. Not just raping women. He went to court for statutory rape a few times. Cases got dismissed. I was reading an article recently that a musician in the 70s, Ronnie Wood, went to look at Errol Flynn's old house. He was going to 
you know, looking to purchase this house. And as he was touring the house, he started noticing a lot of two-way mirrors, intercoms in bedrooms, all sorts of creepy voyeuristic shit. And he was very well known for this. They were kind of open secrets. Ew. Ew. But I really only looked him up because I wanted to do side-by-side photos of Richard when he has the mustache and compare it to Errol Flynn's and see if they were close at all. I fell down this Errol Flynn rabbit hole and I was outraged and disgusted. We know later that Yep, I wrote that down too. And I thought that was really interesting because you could even argue it's kind of like Errol Flynn's mustache. Yeah, so in conclusion, fuck Errol Flynn. I do want to mention that Richard brings up if he hadn't been on the Yale fencing team, he would have married Lucinda Lester. Now, I have some theories about this too. We know that the person Richard was actually in a serious relationship with in college was Penelon Lott. And my theory is that the reason why he didn't say Penelon Lott and he brought up Lucinda Lester is because he knows what a sensitive issue Penelon Lott is to Emily. He is very smart and he knows his wife very well. So he is going to bring up the girl that they both knew that kind of had a mustache. So Emily could kind of make fun of her and feel better and not have to think about Penelon Lott. When Emily says she remarks on the resemblance between Lucinda Lester and Errol Flynn, and then she says, maybe I should have married Lucinda Lester. It would have been very modern of me. And I was like, is Emily secretly a little bit bi? Oh, oh, girl, I want to read that fan fiction. (laughs) Please tell me someone out there who writes fan fiction has written a secret story about Emily and Penelon Lott getting together in their college days. I will read that. I will stand in the park and read that out loud to like a theater crowd. At the very least, you can at least see that um, she's not a very inclusive person, but you can see here that at least she's very tolerant and accepting. She definitely did not talk badly about a queer situation. She was just kind of making a comment about it and not in a derogatory way. You see that she's open to things like that. So that's good at least. Well, unfortunately, the fun does not last very long because we have now reached Lorelai's debutante coming out photo portrait. This, of course, was the portrait taken just before they all find out she's pregnant. We do know from a future episode that in this photo, Lorelai is already pregnant with Rory. They find out soon after. So this brings up some difficult memories for Emily and Richard. And they do not blame Rory. I get it. That was a hard time. But that was 16 years ago. And you are fully grown adults. And you are in front of your granddaughter. You you need to pick your shit up and be there for her and not dismiss her. Because that was, that was shitty. That's exactly it. And, you know, I, I can understand maybe they're not over it yet. It's not like anyone's dealt with any of these problems that they've had over the decades. But, yeah, get your shit together and, and be supportive of your granddaughter. You know? Rory felt it. Kids are smart. They're intuitive. What I appreciate about this scene, though, is throughout the last few episodes, we come to understand that Rory is like kind of starting to get what it would have been like for Lorelai to grow up in that house. I think this is the first time that Rory gets a glimpse of what it was like for her grandparents. There's yeah. pain on both ends, and I think this is the first time that Rory sees how deeply this has affected her grandparents. 
I think that's true too. Although I agree with Lorelai's decision because she did what she needed to do. And I've talked about this before. She did what she needed to do, particular to Lorelai. I don't like the way she did it, but I approve of what she did. But simultaneously, two people lost their daughter. There was a very big shift from one day to the next. And they were never, ever given the space to deal with it. And they still have it. You still do not put it on your 16-year-old granddaughter. So maybe the writers here are just trying to pick up on the other side of the story. Now we are back in Stars Hollow and we see Luke walking over to the Stars Hollow battle reenactors. Clearly his secret love for Lorelai inspires him to be better and go above and beyond. Or maybe it was bringing up the memory of his dad, like you said. Maybe kind of like talking about the memory of his dad kind of made him feel a little bit more warm to the reenactors. I think that actually would make a lot of sense if that's the reason why he does this. Now, this scene, that is some fake fucking snow. I think what they were going for was just like, it's the middle of a snowstorm, just the amount of snow. But I agree, it does not look good on screen. It looks like someone had a pillow fight. Snow they sell at craft stores that you put (laughs) around like your little snow village houses. Yes, 100%, which is made out of plastic and cotton. Oh, it makes me so mad. But this is also, like you said, another scene where I think they dubbed. I'm trained in this. I don't expect everyone to pick up on it. So if you don't, good for you. Because trust me, I can't watch TV and movies anymore without noticing these things because I am ruined for life. Luke comes out in this fake cotton snow and he has a bunch of coffee and he's trying to be nice. He's offering free coffee to these greedy bitches who have the gall to ask for cocoa and hot tea. Man, he's bringing you some free coffee. You take it and you say thank you. If you don't want it, you say, thank you, Luke. That was nice of you, but no thank you. This is also, it stands out to me in this scene because it's a rare moment where Luke is receptive to those sorts of demands. There are a lot of other scenes where people ask for very specific orders or something. Or like Dance Marathon episode, Taylor asks him to provide coffee and then kind of asks for something else. And Luke is like, no, you're getting what you're getting or you're getting nothing. In this scene, it's a rare moment where someone's like, oh, maybe tea, maybe coffee. And he's like, okay, yeah. And and like takes their orders and gets actually gets them what they want. We hear a George Gershwin song in the background. The song is Someone to Watch Over Me. This version is sung by Ricky Lee Jones. And the reason why we're hearing this song is because Luke looks over off into the distance and sees Lorelai and Max walking in the snow and they have yet another kiss. Luke is crushed. You can see it in his eyes that he is immediately regretting being nice to these fuckers over here in this. I never picked it up that way. I always just interpreted it as him showing us how devastated he is to see Lorelai with someone else because he's realized his feelings for her. When I look at that face, he looks defeated and betrayed and Lorelai inspired him to kind of be nicer because of her love of the snow or because he felt comfortable sharing that memory of his dad and he was feeling sentimental. Either one of those feelings, they are centered around Lorelai. They are a direct result of her impact on him. In that moment, he is rethinking everything he thought like an hour ago. Again, this is me. I'm putting my own feelings onto a facial expression. These are my thoughts. 
he was probably feeling good about himself. He was feeling some warm, fuzzy feelings, thinking about his dad, maybe. But also, because of that conversation he had with Lorelai, I think he, like, is realizing his feelings for her. And was then all was, was just like, oh, but she doesn't like me? Mm. Do you think he then just, like, dropped the coffee on the ground and was like, forget you guys, I'm not bringing you shit, and just, like, walks back to the diner? Or do you think that he actually went and got the tea and hot cocoa? I think he went and got it. I also want to point out, you can see behind them, there's a sign that says Samantha Lee's Bakery. And then under that, it says Fresh Baked Daily. I feel like that tagline is important because we know that in the Stars Hollow universe, the bakery in town is Weston's Bakery. But we also know that Weston's is like cakes and desserts and pastries. It's where you can get like a caramel latte. I'm wondering if Samantha Lee's bakery is purely like a bread place, like bread loaves and maybe like bagels or something. So this town of 500 people has two bookstores and like four places you can get a burger. I would not be surprised if it also has several bakery options. (laughs) That seems about right. Lorelai and Max walk to Lorelai's house in the unbelievably super fake snow. It's going to bother me for the rest of my life. I'm never going to get over it. Well, it makes me so mad because they go up on the porch and suddenly, magically, they have absolutely no snow on them. That is not real. Okay, I understand y'all are in California and that maybe Burbank doesn't get a ton of snow, but you've watched movies. You know how snow works. Not going to get any sleep tonight because I'm still going to be mad about this fake snow. (laughs) I mentioned before, this is the Max is a Fuckboy episode. This is Max is a Fuckboy scene, or the beginning of it at least. Can you define what you mean by fuckboy and clarify how he's fitting that definition? Well, fuckboy is someone who talks a big talk, but they have absolutely no interest in being in an emotionally connected, long-term, committed, full relationship. In the definition of that two people are in an emotional partnership with each other. A fuckboy talks like he wants to be in a relationship with you and the words that he says make you think that he wants to be in a long-term relationship and he specifically uses words and phrases to make you feel that way. But he will not commit to you emotionally in any way. But he does expect you to give him the emotional return, especially and most specifically involving the sexual aspect. Fuckboys usually want the feeling of being in a relationship without the work or commitment. So let's talk about Max in this scene and why I think he's being a fuckboy. So they walk up. Max is confused at first on why they're not walking into the house. Lorelai confesses to him that she never brings men home. Never. And it's because she's a single mother with a daughter and she wants to be careful. She's explaining this to him and it makes a lot of sense. She's putting her child first. Yeah. I've always appreciated this moment as like a Lorelai good mom moment. It's explaining in detail how she puts her daughter first, even if it's at the detriment of her own personal life. Exactly. Not only does she have this very good boundary, but she is clearly explaining her boundary to Max. She is telling him exactly how she feels and how she has set up her life. Max, who is very good at words, and believe me, I I get it. He says, at some point, you're going to have to decide that some guy is worth opening the door for. 
I'm just volunteering. This is a really good example. That is such a good fucking line. And I would have melted in that fake snow immediately. But that is someone giving me a line and they are on their first date. So neither one of them have any idea where this is gonna go. But the way Max is talking and the words that he uses, he's implying he's in it for the long haul. I'm just, I'm volunteering. He's pressuring her again. And he also says, what if I told you that I'm only interested in a cup of coffee? And Lorelai says, okay. And the thing is, is I have been in a situation where I was on a date with someone and I was trying to not have sex with them. And I spoke my truth that like, I want to wait, but physically I did want to have sex with them. And the minute you try to have sex with me, I'm going to have sex with you because I want to have sex with you, even though I'm trying not to do that. That is what is happening in this scene. And Max knows that. Lorelai says, this is how I feel. And Max is pretending to be within her boundaries of how she feels and to confirm, I only want a cup of coffee. But the minute they get inside, Lorelai doesn't even have a chance to fill the pot up with water before he leans in physically in her space and takes advantage of the fact that he knows she does want to have sex with him. She is trying to maintain her boundary. She told him what her boundary was and he crossed over it. The second they get in there, that's what he does. That is a fucking fuckboy. I always got the sense that she kissed him. I think she um, did, but when you really watch them, Lorelai is trying to make coffee. And he is, like, right there. Right. She asks him to fill the pot, and he says, that was a loaded question. Which also, I don't understand. Why is how much coffee are we going to make a loaded question? I don't really get that. But, I think he says um, a leading question. But why is how much coffee we're going to make a leading question? I don't really get that. But in this scene, he is coming across as... I don't know if manipulative is the right word, but there's an element of that to it. Yeah. So I do love Max. He's one of my favorite male characters in the entire show. But I am 35 now. I've dealt with so much shit from men. I'm lucky I do currently have a male person in my life who is supportive and asks me how I feel and not just asks, but listens. I know the difference and I know what it feels like to be gaslighted a man. I know what it feels like to tell a man what I want and how I feel and have them just completely ignore it. And I know what it's like to be in the situation where it's just like, I want to have sex with this guy right now, <laughs> you know, like, and I, and I get that too. But in every one of those situations would have preferred if the man had just listened to me in those situations, I gave my permission eventually, but only after they moved over my boundary line. And that's just, yeah. I think that's just why it, why it bothers me so much. I was going to say, I have never been a big Max fan. Okay. I don't know. I, I don't hate him as a character, but yeah, I've just, I've never really loved him as a, as a person. I don't think I ever really connected why, but yeah, you're right. There's everything he does. There's that element running through it. I think that I like Max because I think he's just my type, you know, intellectual book lover. I'm physically attracted to him. Now that I'm seeing it, he doesn't necessarily have the best personality. We don't have to keep talking about this, but I just want to say just if you are a man out there and you're listening to this podcast and a woman tells you what her boundary is and what she wants and how she feels, please just listen to her. And that goes the same for a man too. When a human being tells you what their boundary is, 
listen to it. When they tell you how they feel, listen to them. Do not tell them how they feel. Do not try to take advantage of their emotions or their loneliness or their hormones. Because again, like I don't necessarily regret those things, but I do wish it could have gone a little differently. And I would have felt better if it had. We all just want to be safe and healthy and happy out there. And it starts with us. Well, the good news is Lorelai will not have any of these regrets because Lane walks in and does not walk away. I mean, I have walked in on some people before and I immediately walk away, but Lane (laughs) does not. She stops and stares for like a full five seconds. Right? And even when Max stops and he's looking over and is like, how many kids do you have? Lane is still there. She did not walk away. All right, well, Lean is now in her second super embarrassing moment just in the last few hours. She's legitimately having a rough day. Well, she runs back into Rory's room and turns on the cure. Pictures of you. She's being the quintessential angsty teen here, and I love it. Man, ugh. I'm so glad I had, like, a great best friend in high school, but I really wish I did have a parental figure or like you know a friend's mom or just like a friend who was mature like this that I had to kind of comfort me because I didn't I don't think a lot of us have someone on the level that Lorelai is so Lane's pretty lucky to have someone like Lorelai I think that's pretty special Lorelai does such a good job she says all the right things and she's not just talking but she's talking to Lane in particular I think you're exactly right about that It's not the things that she would say to Rory if Rory was in that situation. No, I don't think so. I think that she knows exactly what she's doing here. And, you know, this is a really good Lorelai parenting boundary episode. It's also the first episode where there is no major interaction between Lorelai and Rory. That's probably a big reason why. And you're right. They're not really together that much in this episode, which I guess I didn't really think about before. But it's so obvious. It's like the whole premise of this episode. Like you mentioned earlier, of course, this is a much more sympathetic and comforting place than it would be at the Kim household. So Lane does calm down a bit and she's going to stay the night. And we also see in the room, we see Lane's music case on the desk and her band uniform is on the bed. So we can confirm for sure this is where she went. She ran straight from the school to this house. I do wonder, was Lane wearing that sweater underneath the band uniform or is that like Rory's sweater that maybe she threw on? Because I definitely wouldn't have worn something like that under my band uniform. I mean, anything's possible. If she feels comfortable enough just going into their house, it would certainly be within the realm of possibility that she just opened Rory's closet and put It's definitely not impossible given what we've seen. (laughs) Well, if this wasn't such a Judy Bloom moment, Lorelai would kick her cute little butt right out. But turns out Max is definitely going to bed with blue balls tonight. As we see from the look on Lorelai's face after she also runs her hands through Max's hair, it kind of feels like Lorelai is also going to bed with a little bit of that, but she's so satisfied by that move, and I think it's just because it's like she played it so cool and it was so satisfying. It's the next morning, and Lorelai wakes up, and it's her Paul Frank pajamas again, which is very exciting. I'm glad to see them back. Rory is home and she has a driver. Richard and Emily do not use a driver. So I don't know if this was someone they hired. Yeah, they had someone pick her up from school. They did. I don't know what they have going on because this is pre-Uber world. So that's not something just just anybody can do. Rich town cars. It's, you know. Either way, Lorelai runs out in order to warn Rory that Max is there. 
Rory is walking up the steps, and at minute 39.20, if you look over Rory's shoulder, there is a man disappearing into the trees. What is happening? (laughs) He's not the driver, and he is not wearing a coat. Who is this guy? Probably Kirk. Rory needs to digest some coffee while she digests this Max situation. She's not taking it that well. And I don't blame her. I'd be pretty freaked out if I came home and my teacher was there. Or just if my mom's boyfriend was there and I didn't know already that he was going to be there. Maybe if like this had been like a long-term boyfriend, you know, but for the first time, especially if I had grown up in a house where there was never a man there. And here's another part of my fuckboy point. This is exactly, oh, see, this proves my point. This is exactly what Lorelai said. And she told Max, this is how I feel because this is what I don't want to happen. And then Max pressured her and then it's exactly what happened. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sticking to my guns here. This is Max's fault. I, I'm not disputing the fact that this is Max's fault. However, she really is trying to be cool with it, and she really genuinely seems like she is okay with it. This whole contrived scene was the impetus for that, and opening up the possibility of Lorelai having a serious relationship. You and I read that scene very differently. And I think that that's very interesting. I don't feel like that at all. I feel like Rory is pretending to be okay with it because Rory usually does have to be the grown up. Even though I do think, again, this is an episode where the parent and child roles are pretty solid. Rory in this household is used to having to be the parent and she has to be a grown up. And this is a situation where another piece of her childhood was taken away and she realizes that. And she is also very analytical and logical and she knows that logically that this is normal. But the reason why I don't feel that way is because of how the scene in the episode ends. Because she sees them in the living room and you can tell that she doesn't feel good. I don't know exactly what she's feeling, but I know she doesn't feel good right now. She takes out that photo booth picture of her mom and her dad as she looks out the window. I think she has a lot of teen feelings. I think that especially after being at Emily and Richards, she's reminded of how she was born and conceived and it's a little messy. She's confused She and she probably doesn't know how to necessarily deal or articulate her feelings about it. It's It's a lot. But she loves her mom and she wants her mom to be happy. I think she is pretending to be okay, but I don't think she's okay at all. I think that she is actively trying to be okay. Figure out a way to let go of the my parents will get together thing that I've been holding on to. Teenagers have a lot of feelings, but their brains haven't fully formed yet. So it's it's just not a good time. It's not (laughs) for anyone. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. A thing that I like about this episode, it shows Lori being very interested in a boy and kind of the negative consequences to her other personal relationships. And it shows Lorelai very interested in a boy and potential negative consequences to her personal relationships. Ooh, that is really interesting because, so Lane does come out of Rory's room and they finally have the talk. Lane has said her feelings, Rory heard them, but of course she didn't get a chance to respond because the phone died. So this is her chance. She can finally make the situation clear. They're having a clear communication moment. They resolve the issue. I think for the most part, Rory listens. A lot of fans of the show don't necessarily agree that Rory is the best friend to Lane, but I think 
for the most part she is lane is definitely included in her life even while dean is in it so you definitely can see that rory is listening and she knows she has to make changes this is a very important conversation to her that is coming directly after this very similar important conversation with her mother that is a lot of information and emotional turning to get in the span of 10 minutes no wonder why she has to turn around and look out the window. We've all had moments like that where that much happens at one time and like you feel it physically. We're all just a bunch of human skeleton bags with nerves and water and it's hard sometimes. Yeah. All right. How do how do we end this episode? Because that was weird. I can't end the episode talking about how we're a bunch of skin bags with water. How bags of meat being piloted by anxious jello molds. <laughs> I don't know, maybe that is the perfect way to end this episode. <laughs> do 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 do. Now it's time for the arts and entertainment shelf. This is where we list all the books, movies, TV, and music referenced in each episode. In this episode, the books referenced are Charlotte Bronte, Hunter Thompson, Jane Austen, Emily Dickinson, and Judy Bloom. I forgot to talk about Judy Bloom. Did you read much Judy Bloom when you were a kid? I didn't read any Judy Bloom as a kid. I feel like I read one or two. I remember them being uh, feeling a little dated, but all feeling realistic in the emotions. I guess I was just a bitch, a bitch 10 year old. You were just reading Jane Eyre because you're cool and <laughs> No, I was reading Jane Eyre because I was fucking sad. Judy Bloom, I did not talk about her earlier. Um, possibly the most famous YA novelist, I would say. And when I say YA, I mean YA. I don't mean like youth books like Harry Potter. I mean YA because her books are about preteen and teenage feelings. You may have heard or have already read some of Judy Bloom's most famous books, such as Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, and Dini. And it was said of Judy Bloom that... For a significant segment of the American female population, Judy Bloom marked the passage from childhood to adolescence. I wrote that quote down because I thought it was really beautiful. I did not read Judy Bloom, but I do know that it does apply to many people out there, especially young girls. And so we are thankful for Judy Bloom's presence in the universe. I guess we did talk about the other things on this list. We talked about Jane Austen. We talked about Hunter S. Thompson. We talked about Charlotte Bronte, and we did talk a little bit about Emily Dickinson, but have you read a lot of Emily Dickinson? I have not. I know I've read a few of her poems, but I wasn't like seeking them out and thinking deeply about them. Well, like I said, Jane Eyre is one of my all-time favorite books, so I'm immediately on the side of Charlotte Bronte and Hunter Thompson and all you other fuckboys can fuck <laughs> off. Movies on the arts and entertainment shelf. The only movie referenced in this episode is House on Haunted Hill, the 1959 version with Vincent Price. Was this the first adaptation of this book? Yeah, I only know of the one since then. I do not know of a version prior to this one. I can't confirm that it's a solid yes, but I can say I think so. The point that this episode was made, I think that was the only thing that existed of it. No, the other House on Haunted Hill came out in 1999. Oh, okay. So it would have come out a year before this. I didn't mention earlier about House on Haunted Hill. This movie stars Vincent Price, who had that same little 40s mustache that Errol Flynn had. 
Next on the arts and entertainment shelf is music. So the two pieces of music in this episode are the song Pictures of You by The Cure and Someone Who Will Watch Over Me, written by George Gershwin. This version was sung by Ricky Lee Jones. I never knew who did that version, but I'm surprised I did not recognize her voice. Wait, so do you know who that is? I actually don't know who that is. When I was growing up, my mom listened to her a little bit. I would say that she would be contemporaries with like Carly Simon and people like that. The other music slightly referenced in this episode was the Beatles album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Poor Lane. Oh, poor Lane. Or poor little Lonely Heart Club. I'm not really a fan of the Beatles. I know that they're classic and they're fine. There's only a couple of songs by them I've ever really liked. It was a big album for them. And it also was hugely influential to other artists. Direct influence on Beach Boys before they recorded Pet Sounds. I did hear that. Yeah, I did hear that. I appreciate and respect the Beatles in history. I, I do not appreciate the fact that they did steal a lot of their songs and sounds from people of color. So many people did that. I understand that everyone did that. Didn't make it okay. <laughs> All right. Last but not least, the television referenced in this episode were Wonder Woman and Star Trek. Now, I say Wonder Woman, and the reason why I didn't say Wonder Woman movie is because I'm basing this specifically on what I know about Lorelai. I know Lorelai's age. I know the year she was born. I know how she grew up. I know what she likes. It just makes sense that Lorelai grew up watching Wonder Woman on TV with Linda Carter. Yes. And we did talk a little bit about Star Trek. You know what I, I think another reason is, is that my mom really liked Star Trek. And you know how it is when you're a kid and you're like, I don't want to fucking watch what my mom is watching. I don't like it. This is mom shows, you know, and I, and I did think it was boring as a kid. It was not exciting. You know, it was something that my, these boring adults liked and it wasn't very fun and it wasn't funny. Just a bunch of nerd and so bleh, bleh, bleh. It's so boring. And so I just grew up just like not being into it. I was never really exposed to it. So I just never, ever watched it. Um, I'm realizing that it's almost 11 o'clock. I'm so sorry, but I appreciate you. I'm having a great time, but I, I understand it's late. I've had so much fun, though. This has been a blast. Thank you again so much for doing this. I'm sorry I took up your pre-Thanksgiving. What is what is this called? Black Wednesday? Wednesday night? Ah, Thanksgiving Eve. No, it's Blackout Wednesday because it's the day you're supposed to go to the bar and get blackout drunk. Oh. Have you never heard that term? I've never participated, but I think that's a... Anyway... Thank you so much. I hope you have a really good holiday and I hope everyone is safe and healthy and that you guys have a good time and are doing okay. Thank you. You too. Yeah, we're all good here. And it's going to be a weird holiday, but a good one and a safe one. Thank yeah. You. And that's what really matters. Yes, exactly. And tell your parents I say hi. <laughs> They're great people. Thanks again, Diane. I'll talk to you soon and I... I miss you, but let's talk again. <laughs> Thanks again, hon. I'll see you later. Thanks for tuning in to Welcome to Stars Hollow, the podcast. I'm taking a nice, long, relaxing break over the holidays, but I will be back with more great episodes and some very exciting guests in early 2021. Happy holidays, everyone.
depends. I mean, like, what do I get with my $100? How comfortable is that car? Is it the perfect temperature? Do I get free champagne? Is it like the limo ride in Home Alone 2 when Kevin also gets a pizza? This is a lot of luxury. <laughs> and I love that I know that you're quoting John Mulaney. <laughs> Referring to Home Alone 2, it's why I love you. It's why we're still friends.